0: Father, open up our ears to hear what the Spirit says to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. You can, you can be seated, and thank you so much, worship team. What a powerful time in God's presence, right, church? Wow. You guys did a fantastic job. So we just finished a season of prayer and fasting, but... Um, I I say that with hesitation, um, concerned that that's exactly how we will approach these past 21 days, is that it was nothing but a season, a a time where we pursue and, and seek God, but then we go back to our default. Have you ever noticed that human beings do that? That we have like this default setting, and it's this nasty word. It's this C word, comfort. Right, And we, we, we tend to default to, to what makes us comfortable. And so we can have this great experience. And yet, if it doesn't change our comfort level or doesn't challenge our comfort level, then what we do is we go back to where we were before. And it was nothing than, than, than just a, a positive memory. But my prayer is that these 21 days of prayer and fasting accomplish so much more. See, I believe some of us received a mighty breakthrough because of this time of prayer and fasting. Uh, maybe we got exactly what we asked for. Maybe we got something that was completely unexpected. As I said earlier, he's able to do beyond what we even think of to ask. So, so maybe he did something unexpected in your life. But maybe you're somebody in here and you're like, I'm st- Still not feeling the breakthrough. I still haven't experienced the breakthrough. I didn't get my miracle. And so I'm struggling right now. And so the, the default setting kicks in to just be like, I'm just going to go back to my other routine. Instead of seeking God early in the morning, I'm going to uh, seek some things out on my phone. Instead of seeking God before I go to bed, I'm going to fall asleep to the television. Whatever it is, whatever your old ways are, instead of seeking comfort in the Holy Ghost, I'm going to turn to that beer. Uh, Instead of um, seeking comfort, I'm going to turn to that uh, marijuana, whatever it is. We go back to our default setting. But if there's anything that I believe was accomplished and 100% of us that participated in this fast and prayer time is is a stretching that has taken place. How many of you felt stretched these past few weeks? I felt stretched. You know, my, my previous, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the most uh, holy and righteous person in the world, okay? So I'm just going to be honest with you and come clean. The longest I had fasted up until this point was two days. And um, I became completely useless. I couldn't function. I was grumpy. And so this time I challenged myself to go three days, just one more day, right? If you did two, you can certainly do three. And let me tell you, I felt like I was going to die on that third day. I was absolutely stretched. But at the end of this season, did I, did I, did I get some miracle? Did, did, I, did I receive some, you know, there were some things that God spoke to me and he stretched me to change me. But, but I didn't experience any special healing in my body or anything like that. But what I did experience was God increasing my capacity. I think sometimes we forget that uh, when we pray and fast, What the work that God does inside of us is more important important than the things that he does outside of us or the things that he brings to us. It's just like stretching in real life, right? Stretching is important. We had this guy on my football team in college that he would never stretch and he would brag about it. He's like, I've never stretched my whole life, and I've never uh, pulled a muscle. I've never got a soft tissue injury, and and we always thought he was crazy because we'd all be going through our stretching routines, and he's just kind of going like this, or the coach would say, touch your toes, and he's like bending his knees, and we're like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to get hurt, and so we didn't think too much of it until one day he actually tore his hamstring and had to miss a few games, and then all of a sudden, it was like, maybe that stretching is important, right? See, our muscles react and respond that way to the, to the stretching and also to the, the exercise and the exertion. And in fact, if you don't stretch and you don't exercise, you have something that takes place in your body called muscle atrophy, right? That's where you actually start to lose muscle mass and it begins to deteriorate. You begin to lose strength and then it gets replaced with fat. And so then you're just soft and weak, Okay. And so it takes stretching and engaging your muscles to keep that and prevent that from happening. And so we have to both feed our muscles and exert them to maintain mass and flexibility. And we have to remember that when it comes to prayer as well. That just like physical strength, there are, always, there are ways that God wants to grow you and increase your capacity that can only happen through the stretching of pain and trial, through the struggle I'll give you a couple examples in scripture. Romans chapter five, verses three and four says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. How many of you are good at rejoicing when you run into problems and trials? All right, one person. I believe you too, Steve, I know you. (laughs) For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops character, strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. James puts it this way. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. At times, we don't let it grow. We, in fact, we hinder the growth because we avoid any type of resistance whatsoever. Many of us, we're just addicted to comfort. And so any type of resistance, we, we, we avoid it. And when we cannot avoid it, you know, because that happens sometimes, life comes and you, the resistance has come against you. We still miss out on the benefits. Why? Because we respond to the resistance incorrectly. We try to circumvent it. We try to go around it. We try to find a shortcut. We, we react and respond emotionally, and we make things worse, and we miss out on the benefits of what God wanted to do in us through the struggle. Uh, we we tease—is Devin Barnes in the room this morning? There he is. We, 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 there's this joke going around about Devin's push-ups, okay, and in fact— it's, it's, it's become, uh, it's made him so infamous that Steve here, here uh, named his fantasy football team, I Can Do Devin Push-Ups. Um, because uh, one time, Devin demonstrated some push-ups for us, and they weren't push-ups at all, right? And so he, he was bragging about how many push-ups he could do, when in fact, he really didn't even do one. And uh, he's going to be mad at me for sharing this, right? I was, almost was going to ask you to come up here and demonstrate, but I won't. Okay, but see, when you do a push up, the idea is that it creates pressure. Right. And and, in areas where you're going to produce strength because you're going to strain, you're going to stretch the muscle, you're going to work the muscle. And when you work out, you develop these little micro tears. Right. And it starts to build up. And so it heals back and you create you get you create more muscle mass. Right. But if I do the push up like Devin, it looks a little bit something like this. Okay, Now, I'm still getting up off the floor, but am I going to get the results that the exercise is, is intended to produce? No. In fact, I might develop muscles in very strange areas if I continue to do my push-ups like that. Okay, And so to respond to the resistance with proper form is to both get up off the ground and increase my capacity so that I can get up off the ground even quicker and more effectively and efficiently in the future. And many of us have experienced breakthroughs during this time, but some have gotten exactly, some have gotten exactly what they asked for, but still some of us continue to face resistance. And we, that can be very discouraging. It can be very frustrating. But let me pose this to you. What if what's happening right now is actually a part of God working out his perfect will for your life? What if the struggle is the answer to the prayer you should have been praying? It's often only through our struggles that he can increase our capacity so that we can receive all that he has for us. See, I can, I can prepare, I can think that I'm preparing for an athletic competition, But if I'm in the gym and I'm using a horrible form and I'm being lazy, then I'm not actually preparing myself for the victory. I believe that we have some things on the inside of us that God wants to confront And we're so in the habit, it is so ingrained in our mind to avoid all that makes us uncomfortable, all that challenges us, that we run from it. Every time he tries to engage us, every time he tries to get us to confront those things that are holding us back, we avoid, we push away, and we pursue other things. We have to respond to the pressure with proper proper form to receive the blessing that God has for us. And so we're gonna take some time now at our tables for you to share a little bit of your story. So at your tables, we've got a question we're gonna put on the screen, and it is this. How has God used your struggles to increase your capacity for blessing? How has God used your struggles to increase your capacity for blessing so we've got about six minutes to discuss that at our tables and then we're going to open up the word of God and find out what else he has for us today all right well awesome I know still there's always some conversation still going on when I get up here to transition us back into God's word Um, and uh, I hate to have to do that but uh, man Some incredible stories of personal struggles were shared at my table. How about your guys's? One of the things that really just stuck out to me is when you listen to what other people have gone through, especially when it's something that's uh, maybe above anything else you've encountered yourself, you can say to yourself, if God can use that and if they can come out of this okay, then he can use the struggle that I'm in right now to accomplish his work in me. And that's the God that we serve. And so this morning, I wanna give you five practical ways that you can allow your current struggle to increase your capacity. Five ways to allow your struggles to increase your capacity. And so today we started something new. Uh, We handed out um, uh, papers today for you to take notes And they also include the life group discussion questions that you'll be going through in your life groups throughout the week. And so now you get a sneak peek at uh, what you'll be talking about in your life groups, and you can um, take these home and and use it as sort of homework, personal study, answer these questions on your own. And what's going to happen is when you come to your groups, um, you're going to come with so much stuff on your heart to share. Um, because you've already spent time in God's word, seeking answers for these questions. And um, it's the reason why we do tables, right? We do tables. A big reason we do tables is not only to connect you with a community, but also to connect you with your purpose, because in the tables, as we share and discuss, we minister one to another. This church is not about any single pastor. This church is not about a worship team. This church is about God's people coming together in fellowship, and every single one of us brings something to the table. And so I encourage you to take notes as we go along, take these papers home with you, answer those questions, and then, of course, bring them to your life groups. If you're not in a life group, sign up for Rooted. That's the best way to get plugged into a life group. And so five ways to increase your capacity for blessing through your struggles. So first, we're going to uh, open up the Word of God to Genesis chapter 32. But I'd like to ask you to stand with me this morning. Take your Bibles, or if you're following along on your phone and you want to take your phone, what I want you to do is I want you to hold that Bible up in the air as you stand with me. And we're going to make a faith declaration just to remind us what it is that we hold in our hand, okay? So read this with me. This is my Bible it is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. Now, if you'll remain standing, I'm just going to read this passage to you this morning. This is Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives. And that's another sermon right there. Um, (laughs) Not a good idea. Um, And his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. Somebody say he was all alone. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Somebody say ouch. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Father, illuminate your words to us today and open up our ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. What a story. I think I need to provide a little bit of background for you for the sake of context. If you don't know much about Jacob, Jacob was a twin but not an identical twin. He and Esau were born uh, on the same day. And uh, uh, Esau was rugged and hairy and Jacob was not. He was smooth. He was a, he was a girly man is basically what it is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so there were, there were complete opposites in a lot of ways. Uh, Esau loved being outdoors, hunting and things like that. Uh, Jacob was more of an indoor guy. He liked to cook. Okay, And so they were complete polar opposites. And Jacob got his name Jacob because when he was born, the Bible tells us that Esau came out first, but Jacob was holding on to his heel. Can you imagine that? holding on as, as, as if he was fighting for position. Scripture always, always tells us that they were very active in the womb, you know, like pushing against each other, like this is my space, back off, right? Uh, apparently, it's not too roomy in a uterus, right? And so they were fighting over space. And so then he's fighting even to be first. It's, it's as if he was trying to be first in the birth. And so uh, they named him Jacob, and we'll get more on, on the uh, detail on the meaning of that later, but the the easy literal translation is heel grabber. And so uh, they named him Jacob after that experience. And so Jacob grew up being someone who really knew how to manipulate other people to get his way. He was very intelligent and very smart. And in fact, he would conspire with his own mother on like, how he could manipulate people to get his own way. And so uh, the thing that he did that he's famous for is he stole his brother's birthright and his blessing. Um, if you read Genesis, you find out that he tricked his brother into giving him his birthright because he found him when he was completely hungry and famished because he had been out hunting all day and, and caught nothing. And so he offered him a bowl of soup. But he said, only if you give me your birthright. The rights is the firstborn son. That's a big deal. But Esau's response is, what good, am I, what good is a birthright if I'm dead? So sure, he took the bowl of soup. He gave up his, his blessing for a bowl of soup. Then, later on, Jacob disguises himself because his father is very ill and sick, and he's blind. And so he covers himself with animal skin so that he appears hairy like his brother. He goes in, he tricks his father into thinking that he is Esau, and he gets Esau's blessing. And as a result of this, Esau's anger was flared against his brother. And he promised that one day he would kill Esau. Jacob, for what he did. And so, Jacob here, I think we could agree, had some flaws, right? Some problems with his character. Say amen if you think I'm right. Okay, so he's not someone that at least I would pick as someone special to be this chosen man of God. Yet, he was given a God sized promise, in spite of his flaws, that he would become the father of a nation. And God told him, Your descendants will be too many to number, like the sand on the shore. He was chosen by God, but right now, in his current state, he's a little too full of himself to receive God's best, to receive all that God has for him. He's he's selfish, he's controlling, he's self-reliant, and he did not yet have the capacity to receive the type of blessing that God was going to give him. And so here we find him, with his family and they're traveling and he's just found out that Esau is on his way with 400 soldiers so of course he's assuming the worst Esau has finally come to kill me and I'm gonna be powerless against him. And in, and in chapter 32, verse 11, he prays a bold prayer of faith. And he says, God, um, my, my brother is coming to kill me. I need you to deliver me. I need you to help me. You have promised that you would make me the father of this nation and that my relatives would be numerous as the sand on the shore. But I'm not seeing how that's going to happen because my brother is coming to murder me. I need you to save me. I need you to deliver me. And so you see, he prays this prayer of faith But then, no sooner does he say amen that he does what he always has done his entire life. He turns to manipulation. He turns to try to take his his, uh, outcome into his own hands. And he says to himself, I'm gonna bribe Esau and I'm gonna start sending gifts ahead uh, so that uh, by the time he actually meets me, he'll be buttered up and perhaps he'll spare my life. And you know, I think sometimes as Christians, we do the same thing. We pray prayers of faith, but when it comes down to it, we take our life into our own hands. Instead of depending on God, we say, if I'm going to receive. The answer to this prayer, I've got to make it happen. And in that effort, often we make a huge mess of things. Is it just me? Anybody else been there, right? Maybe I respond in fear because I don't trust God is going gonna, is gonna, to um, uh, give me what I ask. And so in fear, I do things that hurt other people. Maybe I lash out at my children or maybe um, I do something dishonest because I believe it's the only way I'm going to see this answer to prayer. Come to pass, and we get in there and we mess things up. And I believe this morning God wants to tell somebody to stop asking Him for deliverance and then it's quickly taking the answers to the prayer back into your own hands. And so here's where we pick up. I'm going to start here at verse 24. It says that He sent His family on ahead of Him, and it says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And this is the setting of the scene where God did a work in Jacob's life that would forever alter his course, and it started when he was alone. I want to challenge you this morning. If you want to allow your struggles to increase your capacity to receive what God has for you, you need to get alone with God. Why? Because sometimes God needs to get us alone before he can effectively deal with the issues of our heart. There's too many distractions, and this is a removal of distractions. This is something that I think a lot of us experience during a time of prayer and fasting, is we didn't just fast food, but we fasted media because we saw it as a distraction. And some of us heard the voice of God during that time because simply we quieted everything else around us. Because the media and um, our phones and our devices are just c- constantly creating noise in our life. And so even when we're straining to hear God, we can't hear him over the shouting of the world. See, we can't wrestle with God if we're already engaged in other wrestling matches. So Jacob finds himself here where he has completely emptied his clip. He's out of ammunition. He doesn't know what else to do? He's all alone. And what a blessed position to be in. When you've exhausted all efforts and you find yourself utterly helpless and completely dependent upon God, I want to tell you this morning that God has you right where he wants you. This is the starting point for any personal breakthrough to take place because when a man or woman reaches this state, they stop talking and they start listening. They lift their eyes above their problems and put them upon their creator. It is in these moments where we can actually receive what God has to give. It goes on to say that a man just out of nowhere, right? First, we hear that he's alone. And then it says, and a man came and wrestled with him. This drives me bonkers when this happens in scripture. It's just nonchalant. It's like this, this afterthought that's thrown in. Some random guy, we're not going to tell you who he is uh, or how he got there. It's just, oh yeah, a man came and then they started wrestling. Well, why? Why were they wrestling? Like, like Did, did, did um, Jacob think that this guy was like after his stuff? That he was uh, maybe sent there by Esau to kill him? Um, like, why were they wrestling? Like, We're given no detail whatsoever. Just They just started wrestling. Well, we're gonna take a closer look because it says a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So basically this was an all-night wrestling match. I've never wrestled anyone that long in my life. I wrestled in high school and those matches, I think you have three periods and I wanna say they're only like three minutes each. I could be wrong, somebody can correct me, but it feels like an eternity because if you've ever wrestled, you know that you exert All your energy. Very rarely does a wrestling match end and you have all these leftover reserves and you're ready to go again because that person wants to win just as much as you do. And so they're spending every ounce of energy they have to overcome. And this went on for all night. Number two, if you want to allow your struggles to increase your capacity, you must engage the resistance. That means you must allow God to confront you. To confront your pride, your self-sufficiency, your doubt, your secret and unrepented sin. See, many of us miss out on the inner workings of the Holy Spirit because we're unwilling to be challenged. We avoid conversations that make us uncomfortable. We turn off sermons that challenge us. And sometimes what happens is God, his voice is falling on deaf ears that he sends other people, other believers in our lives to challenge us, to hold us to a higher standard. And tragically, what often happens is we reject that person. We take offense and we withdraw. And then we find ourselves in a place where we're even further entrenched in the thing that had us bound because we were unwilling to hear the truth. Because the truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? I want to point out that in this verse here, it says that the man wrestled with Jacob. Notice how it doesn't say Jacob wrestled with the man. But a man came and wrestled with Jacob. It appears to me that the purpose of the man coming was to wrestle Jacob. To engage him in a struggle. See, I believe God wrestled with Jacob in order to confront a major character flaw. Jacob was entirely too reliant upon himself. And sometimes we need to wrestle before we can be brought to a place of surrender. Jacob was so used to exercising his will and his intellect over others to get what he wanted and take everything else into his own hands. And now God is trying to bring him to a point where he understands, again, where his blessings come from. So you can read all types of stories about Jacob, about how he deceived his uncle into getting his best flocks from him by using trickery. And, 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 um, and he ended up with the strongest and best part of his flock as, as his inheritance, And then, of course, the tables get turned on him, and and, um, his uncle pulls one over on him when it comes to um, getting his first wife. He gave him the wrong wife. Can you imagine that? And so he could walk away through this, even through his ups and downs, and he could look at all the actions he took that led to these seemingly blessings and think to himself, I brought these blessings upon myself. You ever heard somebody in America say, I worked hard for everything I have? Right? We get this idea that we deserve all that we have and more. It's a sense of entitlement. And that happens when we live under the delusion that we are actually in control over the outcome of our life. But if you've lived very long, you understand that there's some outcomes that you did not expect or plan for. And they were completely out of the blue and out of your control. And so this is what God is trying to teach Jacob. He's trying to bring him to a point where he understands where his blessings come from. You know, I I like to wrestle sometimes with my boys, and um, one of the things that's fun to do is to uh, let them win now and then, right? Like, you, you pretend like they're so strong, right? And they jump on you, and you fall over, and you're like, ah, I can't get up, right? But how many of you know that if you're a regular dude, like, you don't let your kids win all the time, right? How many of you think it's important that you sometimes beat your kids at sports, right? Okay because it teaches them something, right? It brings them some humility, right? And so, and I'll do that with my son, you know, we'll wrestle and I'll I'll let him be on top and win for a little bit. But um, uh, what happens sometimes, I'm not gonna say which son this is, uh, but he tends to get a little cocky and he starts talking smack. And then I, I start hearing things come out of his mouth, like old man and stuff like that. And then what do you think I'm gonna do at that point? Am I going to let up and let him win? Heck no. That's when I lay it on him. Why do I do that? Well, part of it is because I don't like the way he's talking to me, right? But is it, is it because I'm arrogant and I, and, I need to, and I need to prove that I'm stronger than him? No, but I think it's important because if, what, imagine if I let him win all the time. Imagine if I let him live under the delusion that he was more powerful than me. Imagine if I let him live under the delusion that he knew better than me. What kind of young man would I be producing? What kind of monster would I be creating? The result would be an arrogant, self-reliant, reckless young man walking down a very dangerous path. But instead, I want him to know that I'm stronger. I want him to know that I'm wiser. Not because I'm arrogant, but because he needs to know that he can trust me to be his protection, to take care of him, that I can be someone that he can come to when he needs advice and he needs wisdom, that he needs to know that I'm an example of what it means to be a man so that he doesn't make the mistake of trying to supplant me as his authority. Because if that takes place in a young person's life, It leads down a path of destruction. And I believe that God looked down on Jacob and saw him on this path. And he said, if I don't step in and do something bizarre and crazy, like wrestle with him, it's not going to get his attention. He's going to continue to live under the delusion that he controls his outcomes. He's going to keep praying for, uh, for me to help him, but then he's going to take it into his own hands. I need to teach him that it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so he engages him in this wrestling match. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He says, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has fully conquered him. I'm gonna say that again. The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has fully conquered him. There are certain blessings that we just cannot receive until we are completely submitted to God. In verse 25, it says, this is very interesting wording. It says, when the man saw that he would not win. I think that's interesting, right? Because you're about to see this man put his power on display with a simple touch to Jacob's hip. And so what he's saying here is not, I cannot overcome Jacob. He's too powerful than me. That would be very silly, right? I think we can see from the context of the story, that's not the case. But what he is proclaiming is that this man has learned his lesson. This man is not going to quit, but this man is going to continue to hang on. See, it was God that relented. But it wasn't that, he, that Jacob was stronger than God, but he relented because Jacob came to the realization that he needed to come to. That this is where my help comes from. This is where my strength comes from. This is where my blessings come from. And it says in verse 25, he touched Jacob's hip and it says, wrenched it out of socket. That sounds incredibly Painful. They, they say that the, the joint in the hip is the strongest joint in the human body. And so the amount of force that it would take to dislocate a hip is pretty powerful and it happened with a touch. And so what happened is suddenly this self-reliant, self-seeking one finds himself wounded and at the mercy of another, seeking a blessing that could only come from God. Number three, we need to let God humble us. Let God humble you. See, the most important thing that God can do in your life through this season of prayer and fasting that we just finished is to give you this exact revelation. Sometimes his truth needs to wound us to bring us to a point of vulnerability and desperation and helplessness so that we'll be ready to receive what God has for us. Because the things that God wants to give us most require sacrifice and an increase in godly character see church there's some of you in here right now that god has these blessings all laid out for you and he's just waiting for the right time to give them to you but the problem is you may not have the integrity to handle the blessing you may not understand the heart of generosity yet and that's why he hasn't blessed you financially uh, you may not uh, learned how to forgive and not take offense. And so he can't, he can't put you in the position of leadership that you so desire to have or that you believe he's called you to because you haven't developed your character enough yet. And when the struggle comes, you're either avoiding it or you're responding to it in an ungodly way. And so it's not accomplishing its purpose in your life. As it says in scripture, to whom much is given, much is required. So the more we expect to receive from God, the more he's going to have to do a work, an uncomfortable, painful work on the inside of us. See, the hip injury was very painful, but it was necessary to bring him to a place of humility and weakness. There are times when God's truth uh, will injure us so that we will return to dependence upon him. You guys have probably heard this shared before, right? Uh, Especially when someone's teaching on the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. One of the things I've heard many pastors share is that the shepherd often will have a sheep that has problems running away constantly. And it's dangerous because sheep are kind of foolish and they don't pay attention. And um, they might uh, be eating grass and then just eat their way right off a cliff, right? Or they may wander away from the pack and, and get attacked by a predator. And so it is so important that that shepherd teaches that sheep not to wander off that what he'll do is if it keeps happening, he'll take that sheep and he will break its leg. Sounds really cruel. Like PETA would be up in arms, over this. But what happens is he will then mend the leg, splint it, wrap it, and he will carry the lamb everywhere they go until that leg heals. Now when the leg is finally healed, he puts the lamb down and the lamb never leads his side because during his brokenness, he was carried by the shepherd. See God wants to use the breaking in your life to draw him to draw you closer to him. And it might seem cruel, but what he's doing is he's saving your life. Because you have a tendency to run off. You have a tendency to go astray. So this wrestling match continues until finally the man says, Jacob's not going to quit. He gets the point and so he says, "Let me go for the dawn is breaking." Again, a command that he could have enforced. But instead, he wanted to hear Jacob's response. And so Jacob says, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Number four, if you want God to use your struggles to increase your capacity for blessing, hold on through the pain. Hold on to God. Hold on to Jesus in spite of the pain. See, when he touched his hip and pop, it went out of socket, the natural response would be, oh, to let go, to grab the injured area, to cry out in pain, and maybe even to avoid and back away from the person who inflicted that injury on you because you don't want any more of that. You don't want to experience that pain. Maybe next time he goes for the other hip or he takes out a knee. I need to back away. I need to protect myself. But Jacob... Held on. Why? Because he wanted the blessing. See, I believe personally, as I read this story, that Jacob did not know who he was wrestling against at the beginning. And it wasn't until the match went on and on and on and he realized he could not prevail, he could not overcome, he wouldn't give up, but he couldn't overpower this person, he began to realize that there was something special and unique about this person, something very powerful. Finally, where he came to the realization that if I've been struggling against you this long and you have shown no fatigue, then maybe you're more than a man. And he realized there's a blessing to be had here. And so he decided to hold on through the pain. And so Jacob goes from using his strength to fight against God to using his strength to cling to him. There's some of you in here today that you're exhausted and you've been fighting against God. And it's time for you to use your strength to cling to him. See, Jacob's whole life and energy had been spent on trying to control his outcome. And we do the same thing. We spend our energy trying to control our outcome, but it would be so much better spent clinging to Jesus. And one thing that this season in fasting has taught us is to cling to Jesus even when it hurts. We've tried to allow those hunger pains to just drive us further into prayer. Like every time I feel a hunger pain, I'm just gonna gonna throw up a prayer. Jesus, I hunger for you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God, you are the one that sustains me. You are the one that satisfies me. I want you above everything else. I hunger for you more than I hunger for my next meal. And we use that pain that we've inflicted upon ourselves, to wrestle against the selfish nature that that we have within our flesh. And because Jacob embraced the pain and held on, he received a blessing. Because what needed to be accomplished through the struggle was accomplished. Church, if you want all that God has for you, then you have to be willing to allow God to painfully confront your flaws. So he asks, Jacob, he says, what is your name? How many of you believe that God really didn't know Jacob's name? Okay. So he must have had a different reason for asking this question. Remember what I told you a little bit about what Jacob's name means? See, the question served a bigger purpose than to make his acquaintance. God already knew him, but the question was to cause Jacob to look inward and to verbalize his character flaws. So Jacob replied, Jacob. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You will be called Israel because you have fought with who? Because you have fought with God and men and have won. Finally, if you want to use God, If you want to allow God to use your struggles to increase your capacity, number five is you must step into your new identity. See, what took place here was so much more than God giving him a nickname. But what happened was God gave him a new name that reflected the change on the inside of his heart. This morning, I challenge you to step into the identity that God has for you, to receive it, to walk in it, to raise your standard. Maybe you're at that point where you've been through the struggle. You've gotten alone with God. You've engaged the resistance. You've let him humble you. You've held on in spite of the pain. And now there's just one step left, is you need to walk out your new identity in faith. You're saying, look, the old Joe would have responded this way. But the new Joe, based on the work that the Holy Spirit has done on the inside of me, is going to respond this way. The old Joe was short-tempered. The new Joe has the fruit of the Spirit, which includes patience and gentleness. And so I'm going to actively decide to step out and walk out in that identity. See, names in Hebrew tradition represented so much more than just, what should we call you? but they were prophetic in nature. And they were to describe the full essence of a person's character and identity. And so you and I, we come up with all sorts of names for our kids because they sound pretty. And we want our child to have a pretty name. Or we want our son to have a name that sounds cool, that sounds tough, that sounds manly, right? And that's how we go about choosing our names. Some of us put a little bit more thought into it. Maybe we choose Bible names, right? Or maybe we know the meaning behind the name, but a lot of people just say, I like how this name sounds, and I'm gonna spell it in a way that has nothing to do with phonics. And no one's ever gonna know how to spell my child's name. And that's how we're gonna set them apart and make them seem special. But in Hebrew tradition, it was to describe something about the child and to be prophetic. And so choosing the name Jacob and its original meaning for this child was, you know, I feel like I'm not sure that was the right call, mom and dad. That's not very nice. You're gonna label him based on just the experience in the womb? And let me tell you that up until this point in his life, he totally lived up to his reputation. But when God gave him a new name, he was declaring him, new creation see through the struggle Jacob received an answer to prayer that he wasn't even praying he said God save me I don't want to die but God said I'm going to bring you an answer to the prayer that you should be praying God save me from myself and the only way he could do that was through a wrestling match See, the word Jacob means heel grabber. Um, it, could be, it could be interpreted many different ways, but you'll capture the essence here. Supplanter is one of the words uses uh, that, that is used. As somebody who supplants someone else's authority like through, through like, sneaky, underhanded means. That's exactly how Jacob lived out his life. He got this name because of his, because of his birth, and he lived up to it. And you know what? We're not unlike Jacob in that sense. I think all of us kind of have some of that nature of Jacob that we try to take control of our lives and we're always looking for something else, always searching for something else in this life that we think if I only had blank, I'd be happy. Or if I had this, I wouldn't be so stressed out. Or if, uh, if this situation was different, I wouldn't be so angry all the time. We're always looking for something on the outside that's going to satisfy us. When in reality, if God doesn't do a work in your heart and you don't allow him to confront those parts that are offensive to God, It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter how stress-free your life is. If you don't deal with that thing inside of you, you're not gonna be all that God has, or, or, or all that God wants you to be. You're not gonna receive all that God has for you. So he says, your name will be Israel. Now, Israel can be translated as God fights or In this context, perhaps it means something like one who is powerful with God, maybe one who has struggled with God and overcome. But the emphasis is that the power within the man is not within himself, but from God. And this was a change in mindset that had taken place in Jacob's heart. And the notable change of character was from a propensity to wrestle in the flesh through deception and manipulation to a propensity to find his strength in God and fight for the things God wants for him. God allows you to go through struggles to mold you and shape you into a new creation. And you struggle because he no longer wants you to be defined by your past, but wants to increase your capacity so you can receive your new identity. So Jacob is like, wow, you gave me a new name. And he says in verse 29, tell me your name. And his response is very funny to me. Why do you want to know my name? And then he just moves on, completely blows him off. But then he blesses Jacob there, it says. Why did he not tell Jacob his name? Well, perhaps this was the same angel of the Lord that we find throughout the Old Testament, like the one that appeared to Manoah and his wife, telling them that they would have a son named Samson. In Judges 13, 18, it says, Why do you ask my name? They asked the angel his name. And the angel of the Lord replied, It is too wonderful for you to understand. That word wonderful is the same word used in Isaiah 9, 6 a prophecy about the birth of Christ It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, I'm of the belief that these encounters in the Old Testament, that it refers to the angel as the angel of the Lord, but doesn't provide you his name, is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus, Before he ever took on flesh and came to earth, he was God's messenger, God's word, giving a message directly to his creation. So Jacob, it says in verse 30, named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. So even Jacob is declaring who he believes this man was that he wrestled with. He doesn't understand it because he knows no man shall see him and live. And so God appeared to him in some type of form where he would survive that encounter and that conflict, but yet he recognized something about this angel of the Lord that said, this is God Almighty revealing himself to me in a very special way like we see nowhere else in history. This was this, it was a miraculous merging of the physical and the spiritual. It's like two dimensions being merged into one. See, we read this and we can only apply it to our lives as a metaphor, but God wanted Jacob and needed Jacob to get this message so clearly through his head that he let him live out the metaphor. He let him experience the metaphor in the physical, because if he was going to get this uh, revelation in Jacob's heart, he was gonna need to engage his senses. And so he put on some sort of a physical form to allow him to struggle with him, both on the outside and the inside, to test his body and his mind and his will. And it says that he walked away from this experience still Limping, And the people of Israel had so much reverence for it. This was never written in God's law. God never said, do not eat. Do not eat of the, this area, the tendon of the hip. But it just says that the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened. Because they recognize that what Jacob experienced was a wound that came from the hand of God and his limp would forever stay with him as a reminder that he was completely and totally reliant upon God. If you'll allow God to wrestle with you and let his truth injure you, it will forever change the way you walk I want you to consider the fact that the pressure you face today may be God working in your life, wrestling against the things that you have refused to confront. And it may not be fun, but its purpose is to increase your capacity. Because as I said before, there are things that God has yet to pour out upon his church because we're simply not ready. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I pray for your church and I pray, God, that you would just begin to reveal to us how this word speaks directly to our situation. There are those in here that are in a struggle. Some, a struggle of their life. Some of them are struggling with depression. Some of them are struggling financially. Some of them are struggling with fear. And God, everything inside them is wanting to take matters into their own hands, to do things that aren't honoring to God, to maybe lash out in anger, to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, to continue to blame others for their problems, to refuse to take responsibility for their own actions. God, whatever it may be, God, it's it's the thing that if it was told to them by a friend, they'd take offense and they'd never come back. But God, I pray that today they would allow you to wrestle with them even though it hurts so that you can bring about the change of character they need because you've got another level for them and these things are holding them back. Father, release them from those things. Set them free from those things. Father, save me from myself. Let me be completely and totally reliant upon you in Jesus' name, amen. The way we're gonna close today is I just wanna invite you to find a place to be alone and do some wrestling. Allow God to confront you with the things that you've refused to deal with or maybe with the things you tried to deal with and you feel like you've been unsuccessful. And you can just find a spot to be alone. It can be up here at the front, the, the sides, the back corners. You can stay where you are. You can sit, you can kneel, but find a posture that means something to you. And as the team sings, we just want to give you an opportunity to pray and to listen and allow God to speak with you and deal with you today. And then I'll come up in a few moments and we'll close. Okay, let's take some time. Father, we just need you to come and just do a mighty work in us. We just need you to clean house, God. Break down the walls of tradition, religion. God, tear down the idols that we've raised up in our hearts, God, and be our everything. Father, bring us near. God, let your truth pierce us and wound us the way that you wounded Jacob's hip, Lord. It was a literal wound that took place and it was something that was necessary, uh, God, for him to receive what you had for him, Lord God. And I don't believe he he saw that limp as uh, a handicap, but as a precious reminder of the gift that he was given that day, Father God. So Father, humble us Let us embrace the pain that we have some work to do. You have some work to do on us, God. May we not avoid it anymore. God, I know that you have incredible blessings for this church because you desire your church to be that city on a hill and the salt of the earth. And you desire your church to grow for more people to come into your kingdom. You want your church to have an impact and an influence on culture. And God, I pray that you would do the work that needs to be done in us so that we can see this come to pass. We thank you, God. I thank you for the individuals, God, that received breakthrough today, God, and those that are continuing to struggle. And I pray that they would continue to hold on, Father. And I thank you that he who began a good work in us would be faithful to complete it. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. Um, Man, I hope the Lord, uh, I believe the Lord really ministered to a lot of people today and I pray you receive his word for you today. Just want to remind you, especially parents, we'd love for you to stick around and come meet Nadia. She's a really cool person. Um, Her boyfriend Carson is with her too. And he's a great guy and they'd love to meet you. Um, But have an amazing week. We'll see you next time. God bless you guys.